Good morning. Paul tells us in God's Word that the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, and it's this grace through Christ that has brought salvation for all people, and it's this grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to buy us back from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Paul says to declare these things. That's what we're here to do this morning in word and in song. Let us stand and do just that.
Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 to 66. If you've brought your journals with you, it's found on page 164. Let's read the word of the Lord. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests that teach the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama thabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling to Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was a son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance, They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. 
The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he is raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of this to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? Who bear the dreadful curse? 
from 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We celebrate our fellow believers who have experienced this new life that comes from being in Christ as they get baptized this morning throughout our different services. So we're going to meet them through this video. Uh, my name is Joey Kowai, and I'm a senior. And I came to Christ in about March of last spring. And since that point, he's just done such beautiful and amazing things in my life that I can't even like I can't even wrap my mind around it. Today, I publicly declare my 100% faith and trust in Jesus Christ through baptism. My name is Jackson Salom. I'm very happy to be baptized today and to share with all of you that Jesus is the owner of my life. Gracias y mil bendiciones para todos. Hola Iglesia, mi nombre es Daniel Lechuga. Estoy muy emocionado de compartir con ustedes mi confesión de fe. Señor Jesús, creo que eres el Hijo de Dios, que has muerto por mis pecados y has resucitado. Amén. Mi nombre es Joel Telles. Hoy estoy feliz de bautizarme. Jesús es mi Señor y mi Salvador. Hoy me bautizo porque amo a Jesús. Amén. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So a few years ago, I developed an idea for a new hymn, and I've done that a few times, over a hundred. But uh, for this hymn, I don't know where the idea came from, except that I know that um, we have to be preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In him is newness of life, as Katie just read. I remember um, that when the patriarch was hosting Billy Graham years ago in his first trip to Russia. The patriarch of the Orthodox Church took his hand, Dr. Graham's hand, and he said, preach the resurrection. And that stuck with me because we have to preach it every day. And these video clips are a tremendous testimony of the resurrection, aren't they? Yeah, praise God. So this hymn, raise the flag of victory, raise it up for all to see. These and you who trust Christ, you are raising the flag. Read its message loud and clear. Shout it out for all to hear. That's the hymn. And so today we're going to introduce it with you, and the choir will sing a verse so you can get an idea of the, the tune. And I just hope that you'll find blessing as you lift this up to God and witness to anyone who will listen that all will hear that Christ is victor. Christ is alive. I serve a risen Savior who's in this world today.
Turn to the people next to you and wish them the peace of Christ that has bought, been bought for us. The peace of Christ be with you. Have a seat. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. My name is Brent Sickle. I'm one of the pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. And as we've just finished worshiping, we're going to continue on our worship with our tithes and our offerings. So I want to call the ushers to the front. And a reminder as we prepare our hearts to give, that you can give a variety of ways here at Wheaton Bible Church. You can give online at wheatonbible.org give. You can give as they pass the plates, or you can send your offerings to the gifts of the church. Ushers, would you please pass the plates for us? I was so excited to see so many yesterday that came to our parenting seminar, even some faces I see here, parents and grandparents, uh, to come and participate in our parenting seminar we hosted. And if you did not know about that or some of the other events that we have, I want to encourage you, for all of our latest church news... And to stay up to date with all of what's going on, you should check out our weekly email, 27W. If you aren't signed up for it yet, uh, you can either go online and register, or I know there's uh, QR codes in some of the seat backs and some of the placards in the back that you can just snap with your phone and get connected with all the things that are going on. We have so many different things every day of the week. We don't want you to miss out in ways that you can connect with your church community. One of the things that's coming up here and just uh, uh, beginning here uh, these coming weeks is our annual Christmas store. I want to let you know about this opportunity we have to serve our community through Puente de Pueblo. Remember just a few weeks ago during Missions Fest, we celebrated Puente's 15th anniversary. And so in the same way, uh, we want to continue on with the Christmas store that we do with them and for our entire congregation to participate in what they're doing, and be involved in our community. So to hear a little bit more about it, let's watch this video. Hi, I'm Saul Flores, and I serve as the director of Puente del Pueblo, which has been an outreach ministry of Wheaton Bible Church and Iglesia del Pueblo for almost 15 years to the residents of Timberlake and Main Park Apartments in West Chicago. As we do each Christmas, we have an incredible opportunity to continue being a blessing to these precious families and friends in our community as we partner with you. The Christmas Store is an opportunity for families in our Puente del Pueblo program, along with others in our underserved areas and the surrounding communities, to purchase new donated gifts at significantly discounted prices so that they can celebrate and enjoy a wonderful Christmas with their children. 
It truly is a beautiful and fun time as parents come and shop in a festive environment. When they visit the Christmas store, it also provides us with an opportunity to share more about our Puente del Pueblo programs and our churches. Soy Lorena Flores, soy de la Ciudad de México, y yo vivo en La Villita, y llevo conociendo a Puente 12 años. Este, la tienda, yo he ido a la tienda, he comprado lo que le quiere uno dar a sus hijos y yo agradezco porque está muy, está barato, el precio es muy barato. Y aparte, pues, da oportunidad de escoger cosas y comprar más, ¿verdad? Para <risa> los chiquillos y, y yo sé que ese dinero lo vuelven a usar para ayudar a la gente. Yo me enfermé de COVID cuando estuvo las enfermedades de COVID y a mí me ayudaron a pagar una renta de un mes. Entonces, yo sé que es mucha ayuda ese programa, yo le agradezco porque... Todos mis hijos han estado ahí, yo tengo cuatro hijos y todos me los han ayudado y hay muchas ayudas y hay muchos programas y pues yo agradezco mucho al programa Puente y la tienda y, y todos los que están ahí. A toda la gente que, que da regalos, que da dinero, ¿por qué? Porque nosotros, gente que estamos ahí, gente pues que necesitamos ayuda gracias a ellos que mis hijos pues tienen un regalo bien, o sea, la verdad, porque a veces están caros y uno ya sabe que no puede uno comprar juguetes buenos, ¿verdad? Ni nada, simplemente uno se va a lo que uno le alcanza. Pero a eso, pues muchas gracias. Se los agradezco de corazón. So here's how you can join us in making the Christmas store a huge success. Please purchase a new unwrapped gift for children between the ages of 1 and 17 and drop it off at the gift drive collection box available in the church lobby with the receipt. Thank you for prayfully being part of this effort to share the love of Christ with our friends and community members at a time where so many hearts are open to hearing about the good news of Jesus. Oh. You can find the, the gift bins out in the lobby. They're giant. You can't miss them. And out there next to the bins are the papers that will identify the types of gifts uh, that are needed. So make sure you grab one of those because we can't wait as a church family to see those bins filled to overflowing and impacting our community. Would you join me as we pray and prepare our hearts for the ministry of the word this morning? Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come before you now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son that we heard in the reading of the, your word. And as we read through the crucifixion story, we're reminded of the price that Jesus paid. Lord, we're also reminded this weekend of all of our veterans and service members. And Lord, we, we thank you for them. We thank you for the duty that they perform in protecting our country. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice they make as well. Lord, we lift up uh, the Christmas store to you and we ask that you would take the gifts that we give and multiply them for your kingdom. Lord, may our generosity be seen in the community as a way of showing who you are through Puente. 
Lord, with the families that are impacted by these generous gifts in this season. See the gift of grace that you provide through Jesus Christ. Lord, would families come to know you through this very tangible expression of the church. And Lord, we now also pray that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to hear your word. Lord, may your word pierce our hearts in what you want us to learn. And Lord, may we respond in obedience to what you are calling us to today. So Lord, speak through Hannibal. Make your word shown to us now. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. All right. Morning, familia. That was a long section. So if you skipped your reading plan this week, don't worry. You just caught up. We are looking into this last section of, the, of Matthew chapter 27. And some people have called this section the climax of the Gospel of Matthew. The most important section in the Gospel of Matthew. The section in which everything was pointing to and driving us to. And what I want you to notice right from the beginning is that there's a huge, huge difference between what we see here in the Gospel of Matthew and actually what we see in the rest of the Gospels as well. When we, when we talk about the crucifixion, there's a huge difference between what we see in the Bible and, when we, and what we see, for example, in a movie like The Passion of Jesus, the movie, famous movie done by Mel Gibson. And actually, you, you're going to see that there's a huge difference. I hope you can see that there's a huge difference between what most movies about the passion of Jesus Christ show us and what the gospel show us. See, the tendency, I believe, for many of these movies, including the passion of Jesus Christ. By the way, the word passion means suffering. The main difference that we see between those movies and the Bible is that the Bible does not dedicate so much time to the cruelty or brutality of the cross, which most movies do. Including the Passion of Jesus Christ, it puts high emphasis on the tools that they were used to torture Jesus, the nails that they were used to nail Jesus to the cross. Uh, we get to see the picture of the hands being uh, crossed by the nails. We get to see the blood, the amount of physical suffering, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I think that there's a reason why many of these movies actually do that. And it's because they want us... To, they want us to be moved emotionally in order to help us to understand and believe. I think that part of the reason why Mel Gibson spends so much time describing the brutality of the cross is so our emotions can be moved in order for us to believe. I don't think that's the biblical pattern. Actually, we know that the cross was brutal because last week we read that 
Jesus was stripped and uh, they put a crown of thorns in his head and they knelt before him and they mocked him and they spit on him and they struck him time and time again. But if you notice, it's a description, but we don't have all the details of what Jesus felt and all the blood that came out and all these things. Actually, the Bible, the Gospels move really quick when describing the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I think that the reason why the Bible does that is because they don't want us to be moved in order to believe. But the Bible wants us to understand and believe in order to be moved. The order matters. And the reason why I think that the order matters is because if our relationship with Jesus and what, our, uh, what we embrace about him going to the cross is based on what we feel and what we experience what would happen when you no longer feel what you feel? You know, I know a pastor that every Sunday, in order for him to get in the mood of doing church and preaching Jesus, he would actually take a look at the clip of the Passion of Jesus Christ, watch it before he would do his thing, so he could get in the right mindset. And everything in my head says, that is so dumb. <laughs> what happens when he doesn't feel anymore? What would happen to all the theology that he built based on what he felt and experienced? I think the one thing that is clear about this section of the Gospel of Matthew is that the Bible does want us to feel something. But that flows out of what we understand and what we believe so even if we don't feel anything, we know that to be true. So today what I want to do is I want to give you, which is super interesting here. There's so, much, so many things that we could say about this section, but I, I almost see here like a summary of the theology of the cross. And because of the time I have, I only have, I want to pick certain things. But this is, I want to prepare you because in the time I have, so don't worry about that, but in the time I have, I'm going to give you a seven-point sermon. Seven-point sermon. Therefore, I'm going to give you a lot of information because my only concern is that you understand so you can believe and later on so you can experience. Amen? Seven-point sermon. This is what we're going to talk about. The cross and obedience, the cross and fulfillment, the cross and substitution, the cross and darkness, the, the, the cross and sacrifice, the cross and grace, and the cross and suffering. Seven-point sermon. Ready? This is going to go fast. This is, this is going to be a class today. All right, class? Number one, the cross and obedience. So in verses 32 and 33, we see Jesus being taken to the cross. And apparently, he has been uh, physically hurt so bad that they got to grab something to help him carry the cross. And the text says that the name of this man is Simon. They take Jesus to the cross. They crucify him at Golgotha. But once, notice how fast that moves. He's struggling. Someone helps him. And the next picture, he's already crucified. We have nothing in between. And by the way, it's the same thing that we see in the rest of the Gospels. But then the cross stops, so the text stops in verse 34. 
And it says that there were, and, and there they offered Jesus wine to drink mis, mixed with God, uh, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, it is understood that when they were giving this drink to Jesus, that drink was kind of an anesthetic, something that they would give the person that was crucified to numb them from their pain. And scholars agree, in general, that part of the reason why the Roman soldiers would give this drink to the person that was crucified was so they could extend the suffering of the person. It wasn't a way to help them. It was a way to extend the suffering of the person. What I find amazing about this is that Jesus, in the midst of his agony, in the midst of his pain, instead of drinking this thing that would alleviate his pain, Instead of drinking this thing that will make pain more um, uh, bearable, at least for a fragment of time, did you notice that he refused it? So you got to ask the question, why? And I think that we could see here something of the character and heart of Jesus. And here we see a Savior, a man that is 100% man and at the same time 100% God, in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of his pain, as a human being, choosing for his senses to stay untouched, choosing to have a 100% clear mind in the midst of his suffering. He chose to be 100% aware of what's happening and what he was going to go through, so he could be 100% obedient. So he could experience 100% what he needed to experience. Notice that for Jesus, there's no shortcuts. There is no special treatment. There is no cutting the corners. He's willing to go through what he needs to go through understanding everything that he was going to go through. So you got to ask the question, why was Jesus willing to be obedient even knowing what he was going to experience? And then takes me to point number two, the cross and fulfillment. It's interesting when we look at the whole event of the passion here, because you will notice that every single little thing that Jesus went through had already been prophesied. Everything that Jesus went through had already been prophesied. Everything that happened, everything that was said, every event had already been prophesied. So from that perspective, not only we have a Savior that, was willing, that knew what he was going to go through and was willing to go through it uh, with no help, but we also get a picture of a Jesus that knew to the point everything that he was going to experience. And we see that, for example, in verses, starting in verse 35, when it says that they divided his clothes by casting lots. That's a fulfillment of a prophecy that has been made in um, Psalm 22, if you will. When it says that Jesus was crucified in verse 38 between two rebels, that was a, that was a fulfillment of a prophecy done in Isaiah 53. When he says that the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked them, that's also taking us back to Psalm 22. What is interesting, though, is what happens in verse 46, which, in my opinion, is something crazy. Because Jesus says in verse 46, 
About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and he says, Eli, Eli, lava salactani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, every single scholar would say that Jesus said this not only to fulfill what Psalm 22 said, which is the first verse of Psalm 22, but he said it for, in order for us to understand everything that he was, in, uh, he was going through internally and how he chose to still stay at the cross. See, that little phrase will give us a picture, uh, gives us a window into the heart of God, Jesus and everything that he was experiencing internally, and yet he chose to be obedient. So if you read Psalm 22, which I recommend you do at one point, it says that Jesus is feeling anguish, and he's crying out uh, and has no answer, that he feels that he's being put to shame because of his faithfulness. That he finds no rest, that he feels like a worm, not like a man, that he feels despised, that he wants to be rescued, but there's no one to deliver him, that he feels like a prey in the midst of lions, that his heart is melting away, and he almost feels dead alive. But if I tell you that that is not the worst, but if I tell you that Jesus already knew, and he's going through something that none of us would have ever felt and will ever feel. Because when he quotes and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is saying that the one that he has, spent, he has been spending time with for, from eternity is now distant. That the one person that has always been with him is now absent. That the love, the person that he has loved and has received love from, from eternity, from a human perspective, is no longer there. Did you know that psychologists say that when people go through divorce, that may be one of the worst pains a person can experience? And the reason why they say that is because if you have been with a person for such a long time, you have built love for, love for such a long time. And the more time you spend with a person, the deeper your love is. And when divorce happens, there's a rupture of that love. And that's what it feels awful. And that's why people go through depression. And that's why people do crazy things when they go through divorces. Because the more time you have spent with a loved one, the more you have been loved by that person, the harder it is to experience rupture. You know that's crazy? As bad as any divorce any of us could have maybe had, that pain of rupture that Jesus experienced, none of us have ever experienced. Jesus was willing to stay at the cross, to experience agony, and to feel completely abandoned by the love of the Father, because he had to fulfill 
what the Father had asked them to do. Why did, choose, why did Jesus choose to, to stay fully aware? Well, so he could be obedient. Why did Jesus choose to be obedient? So he could fulfill what he was required of him, even though internally he felt completely destroyed. So now we've got to ask the question, why was he willing to go through that? It takes me to point number three, the cross and substitution. See, the only way a sinner could be forgiven is when the sin, the consequences of that sin, someone pays for. And I want you to consider for a second that when we think about this, when you think about your life, and when you think about the words that you have said, the thoughts that you have, ha have had, the motivations you have had, the things that we have done, I think that we would all agree that it's impossible for anyone to pay how much we owe. It'll be impossible for a human being to actually pay what we owe. So from that perspective, you got to ask the question, who can be saved? Now, Jesus is now to the cross. The religious leaders are passing by, and they're shaking their heads as they look at him crucified, as they see this king crucified. And look at what they say to him in verses 40, and then they say something different in verse 42. They look at Jesus and say, save yourself, come down from that cross. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. But then in verse 42, they say, let him come down from that cross, and we will believe in him. You know what's interesting about that? That even if Jesus would have done that, they would have never believed. But this paints the picture of a God in Jesus that not only is willing to be fully aware, so be, to be fully obedient, to experience what he had to experience for one reason and one reason alone. So he could take our place. So he could be our substitute. So he could make the payment that nobody else could make. Because Jesus knew, church, Jesus knew that it had to be either him or us, but it couldn't be both. Either it was him or it was us because it couldn't be both. You know, years ago I heard uh, uh, this uh, illustration that Tim Keller used in one of his sermons. And he's quoting a movie that I tried to look for it, could never find it, at least not the full movie. It was a movie uh, made in 1938 called Angels with Dirty Faces. Anybody ever seen that movie? One, two people? Good. I went and I read the whole thing, and uh, there's a scene in that movie which is amazing. It's the story of this gangster that is admired and followed by a lot of young kids. And one day the, the gangster gets caught and he's taken to prison, and now he's being sent to the electric chair. But he's a gangster, so he's a tough man. And if he's going to die, he's going to die like a man. So there's a priest in the story that knows him. Knows him since he was a little kid. And he knows that in order for the kids that admire him can be saved and walk away from that life, it's only if they see their hero dying like a coward. 
So the priest tells this man, I need you to do me a favor. All these kids are going to look at your execution. And what I want you to do before you get executed, you start screaming like a little kid. Ask for forgiveness. Say that you don't want to die. And this is what he responds, and I quote, You're asking me to pull an act? To turn yellow? So those kids will think that I'm no good? You're asking me to throw away the only thing I got left? You're asking me to crawl on my belly the last thing I do in life? You're asking me way too much. You want to help those kids? You're going to have to find some other way to help them. To which the priest responds, It's them or you. If you go out in glory, they're going to go down into a life of shame. But if you're willing to go down in a life of shame, you, if you're willing to throw your whole life away and your whole reputation away and go out in a horrible humiliation and shame, they could be safe. So something happened in this gangster mind. And right before the execution, and I quote again, Suddenly, he begins to squeal like a child. He begins to cry and begins to cry it out. No, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Please don't burn me. I don't want to die. So they grabbed him and put him in a chair. And as he's crying out and screaming like a child, they pull the switch. See, the cross is very similar to that. If Jesus holds on to his glory, we will be doomed. But because he did not hold on to his glory, became our substitute, we get to be saved. See, Jesus had to be aware, fully aware, in order for him to be fully obedient. And he had to be fully obedient in order for him to experience what he needed to experience and fulfill what he needed to fulfill. And he did that so he could be our substitute and for us to find hope and forgiveness and salvation. So now we have to ask the question, why is it then that Jesus became our substitute? And that takes us to point number four. Because we were so doomed, so lost in our darkness that unless he does that, there is no hope. So did you notice that in verse 45 says that from noon until three in the afternoon there was darkness and came over all the land? And it's clear in the text that this was supernatural darkness. That this was not an eclipse, that this was not sun that blocked the, the, the sun, that this was supernatural darkness right in the middle of the day. And all scholars agree in saying that there's a double meaning for the word darkness. Because darkness in the Bible always is in reference, or at least most of the times is in reference, to judgment. So it shows us that when Jesus is our substitute, he goes to the cross to take upon himself judgment. But then is the second definition of the word darkness. Which is meant to symbolize that he's, he has to do that because of our spiritual darkness. See, if you have ever been in a dark, dark, dark place, you would understand what it means to be in a spiritual darkness. See, if you have ever been in a dark place, you know what it means for you to not be able to see yourself. 
You know that you can't see people well. And you are completely lost. You don't know where to go. And the text tells us in the theology of the cross, the part of the reason why Jesus must be our substitute is because we cannot see the reality of who we are. We cannot see how egocentric, self-centered, narcissistic, and selfish we could be. And because we are obsessed with ourselves, then we cannot see anybody else as valuable as they're supposed to be. And because we are in a spiritual darkness, we don't even know where we have to go. See, you see that Jesus needed to be fully aware in order for him to be fully obedient. And he needed to be fully obedient in order for him to fulfill what the Bible, uh, what God required of him. And he needed to fulfill what God the Father required of him so he could be our substitute. But he needed to be our substitute because we were so lost so lost that we needed to be rescued, we needed to be found, and we needed to be delivered because we were dark, dark, dark in our hearts. So now you got to ask the question. Was what Jesus did at the cross enough for us to be forgiven? And this takes us to point number five. Of course it is. This is the cross and the sacrifice. So the skies gets dark. There's darkness in the land. And look at what happens in verse 46. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said. And then in verse 50, he says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I want you to stop there for a second because I'm going to say something that at the beginning sounds crazy, but you have to understand the theology of it. Did you notice that Jesus didn't die because of the cross? He gave up his life. Actually, if you stay here for next week, you're going to see that when they go to see Jesus already dead. He did not die because of the suffering of the cross. He did not die because of the punishment he got. He did not die because of the humiliation he went through. Actually, you're going to see later on that he died because of a broken heart. He gave up his spirit. He chose to die. Only God could do that. And when he did that, look at what happens in verses 51 and 52. At that moment... The curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And that curtain was the curtain of the temple, the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. And if you remember anything from the Old Testament, you may remember that there was only one person that could go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies only once a year, which was the high priest. And every time the high priest would go into this place was to intercede first for his own sins and then for the sins of God's people. And when Jesus, in, as a substitution and as a sacrifice, goes to the cross, he is going to the presence of God the Father. 
to be a sacrifice not for his sin because he was sinless, but to be a sacrifice for the people in darkness. To take the judgment we deserve. And how does God the Father respond? He says, your sacrifice is enough. How do we know? Because the veil is broken. Not from the bottom up, but from the top bottom. That is the image that says that there's nothing else we should do to be forgiven and accepted. Except to believe and repent. Because God the Father accepted this sacrifice as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment. Nothing else needs to get done. So, let me put it this way. If you, are, if you think that you're a believer, and someone asks you, are you a believer? And you answered, I'm trying. You may not be a believer. Or, you don't truly understand what Jesus did. You don't have to try to be Christian. Either you are or you're not. And the only difference is either you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you understand that that's enough. Or you think that it's up to you. See, that's why understanding what happened in the cross is so important. Because it makes a distinction in who's a believer and who's not. You know how hard it is to live your life always thinking that you have to do something to earn God? You know how tiring that is? You know how nerve-wracking that is? You know, at the beginning of my walk with the Lord, I, I did believe that. On Monday, I was saved, and on Tuesday, I lost it. And then on Wednesday, I was saved again, and on Thursday, I lost it. Can you actually believe that when you understand that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, that he went into the presence of the Father, that he did what he was supposed to do, that he took my place, that God the Father accepted the sacrifice, and that that is enough? Did you know that part of the reason why we repent is because that is enough? We, are not, we don't even repent to try to earn God's approval. We repent because we already have God's approval. Amen. Did you know why Jesus wanted to be fully aware so we could be fully obedient? Do you know why he needed to be fully obedient so he could fulfill what the Father asked him to do? Do you know why he needed to fulfill what God asked him to do is so he could be our substitute? Did you know that he had to be our substitute so we could be found, delivered, and be, and, and, and be forgiven? Did you know that all of that stuff has to be true? Because Jesus went into the presence of the Father, and the Father says, this is good enough. Now, the next question you got to ask is, who is this salvation for? Who does God extend this grace to? Point number six. The cross and grace. See, if you were God, just for a second, who would you choose to be your children? I tell you who I would choose to be my children if I was God. 
Thanks God, I'm not God. I would choose the best kids. I would choose the ones that have a good record. I would choose the ones that have never given me a headache. I, I, I would choose the people who have it all together. I would choose people who have never struggled, and I know that they're going to follow me and obey my voice. That's how I would choose if I was God. But thanks God I'm not God. Because what I want you to see is that this message of the cross, the message of the gospel, the message of grace is extended not for the people that got it all together. You know why? Because people that got it all together do not need salvation. He goes after the ones that nobody wants and are, and are their, and their slaves of their sin. You know how I know that? Do you know who was the first person that converted in this text after Jesus died? The centurion. Look at what happens in verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were God in Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and explained, surely he was the son of God. Now, we know that a centurion in that context and in that time was a brutal, a cruel man. This is a man that is used to seeing people die. This is a man that actually kills people for fun and as a job description. This is a man that is considered by society the scum of society. This is a man that is hated and rejected by everyone. And I find this so amazing, so beautiful, that one of the first people that get converted is a Gentile, a cruel and brutal Gentile. And you also know who were some of the first people that got converted to Jesus? Women. Ladies, don't get offended. Let me explain it. In verse 55 says that Mary, uh, many women were there watching from a distance. And we know for the rest of the gospel that they became disciples of Jesus. In verse 56 says that among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and then this other mother, the mother of Zebedee's sons. And it's interesting because women in that time and in that context would be considered almost like a second-class citizen. They were not loved and appreciated nor respected. And don't you find it amazing that the first people that actually get to taste and see how good God is is a brutal man and woman rejected by society. And if that is true, and it is, you have to know this, that it doesn't matter what you have done. That it doesn't matter the magnitude of your sins. That it doesn't matter if you have lived in hell. That it doesn't matter if you have done unthinkable things. That it doesn't matter if you don't have a place of honor in society. That even if you are a nobody from a human perspective. That it doesn't matter if you have an awful history. The gospel of grace is for you. Because the gospel of grace is for those of us that know that we have nothing. And that our sins are great. How about if I tell you that all of that is supposed to change the way we live when we understand it. And even how we suffer 
Point number seven, the cross and suffering. See, it is because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we know that we have a God that understands our suffering. No one can say that our God does not know what it means to suffer. Therefore, we have a God that we could go to and knows exactly what to say because he knows exactly how we feel. How about if I tell you that that is true, then it's also true that it is possible to suffer for a good reason, even if we don't understand it. Isn't that what we saw in the cross? Jesus suffering for something good. And it didn't make any sense at the beginning. And lastly, it tells you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, even when we suffer and we don't understand why God allows that, listen, it tells us that we don't need to understand why God allows that. It tells us what the reason is not. It cannot be because God does not love you. It cannot be because God does not care for you. It cannot be because God is not, not for you. Doesn't the cross of Jesus Christ show you that he was obedient, that he fulfilled what he needed to fulfill, that he was a substitute, that he took upon himself your darkness, that he was the ultimate sacrifice, that he called you to be even though you did not deserve anything, why would you think that suffering not only doesn't have a good purpose, but that God is not for you? See, the cross, of, the cross of Jesus Christ changes your life completely, even if you don't feel it. Because at the end of the day, it's about what we understand and what we believe, even if we don't experience it. Which, by the way, I think that when you really think about it, you will. It, it does affect your emotions. It does affect the way you live. Have you ever thought of the cross in those terms? Seven things. And there's much more. Seven things are supposed to change the way you live. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, being part of a culture in which we are invited to be moved because of the things we feel and the things we experience. It is so easy, Lord, to forget that what Jesus did on the cross was not just so we could feel something, but it was to create a reality, to give us an objective truth. That Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was obedient, that he fulfilled what the law required, that he was the ultimate sacrifice, that he took our place as our substitute, that his sacrifice was enough for the Father. 
that grace is extended to all of us who don't deserve it. And that because of that, we can confront anything in life, including suffering. Because the one that is with us is much bigger, much stronger, and more sufficient than anything else. So please help us. Help us and allow us to see and believe. Believe. Could you please give us that gift? And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. And churches? Let's stand together and respond as we cherish the cross and our Savior who redeemed us there and all that it means for us.
must be what keeps us in mind today and what we get to experience the blessing of God's word because of. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on the earth and his salvation among the nations. We at Mount Church, this morning you are sent. Go and have a great week proclaiming the cross. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. Thank you.